0: This is the San Francisco Experience with Jim Herlihy, independent commentary from a California perspective featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors for a global audience. Season 17, Episode 7. The 2022 Nobel Prize for Economics was announced in the last day or two. And with us today to discuss that award is Ludwig Cincarini, Professor of Finance at the School of Management, University of San Francisco. Hi Ludwig, and welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me on.
0: Hey, my pleasure. The Nobel Prize for Economics was awarded to three American economists, of course, with uh, Ben Bernanke in the lead. Tell us who won it, and what did they win it for?
1: The three people who won the Nobel this year were Ben Bernanke, who, as you know, was former Fed chairman of the United States, of the Federal Reserve. Then there was Douglas Diamond, and he shared that also with Philip DeVivig. So those are the three who won the Nobel Prize this year in economics.
0: And specifically, each one of them, what were their specific areas of endeavor that uh, that the Nobel Institute recognized as meriting the Nobel Prize?
1: So the, the Nobel Committee gave it to them for quote, their research on banks and financial crises. That's what they got it for. The Diamond and Dibovig got it for paper they wrote, you know, centrally, a paper they wrote many years ago on uh, explaining why banks exist and why banks are prone to bank runs. And they also proposed a couple things inside their model that would show, that deposit insurance and also lender of last resort, sort of a a Federal Reserve or a higher body, a government body, could prevent the bank runs. And that was a theoretical paper that showed that this all worked. Now, we, we had deposit insurance already in the United States when they wrote the paper, but it's sort of a model that showed why it might work and not work. And then Ben Bernanke You know, truly, he did work in macroeconomics. A lot of it was historical, studying the Great Depression, and they argued that they gave it to him for that. I personally think they gave it to him partly for his work as a Fed chairman, although typically you're not supposed to do that or it's not typically been done. It's typically for a piece of work. But I think they combined it because their view was probably that he had contributed so much from sort of academic to practice, that it was worth a Nobel Prize.
0: Let's come back to those dark days of 2008, 2009, when the financial system seemed to almost seize up. And Ben Bernanke, then the uh, the chair of the Fed, rode to the rescue. I mean, he seemed to be on the TV every day. He uh, he, he really seemed to keep the financial system afloat. Is Is that correct, Ludwig?
1: Well, I have to balance this, right? Yes, Bernanke had studied the Great Depression. He, he was well aware of the issues at hand. And so I think he was on top of that. And he was, as you said, he was trying to do what he could. And he did a good job. You know, some of, the, some of it, though, the Fed was a little late with, I believe, they could have started earlier. They could have saved Bear Stearns. They could have saved Lehman Brothers, which caused complete chaos it's always hard, though, to know because I wasn't in the room with everyone <laughs> mm-hmm. to know how much of it was politics and how much of it was a little bit of incompetence or late to the game. But having said that, you know, at the end of the day, the Fed did uh, learn from all the not not only Bernanke's research. Obviously, he learned from Diamond's research. He learned from many scholars in the area in international economics and macroeconomics. We had learned that you know, even Friedman and Schwartz, that in these crises, you have to really prop up the system in many ways with backstops, lenders of last resort. So it is clear that Bernanke understood that. And so they did a good job. I, you know, I should mention they did a good job. Could they have started earlier? I think so. Now, why not? Was it politics or something else? You know, I don't know the answer to that.
0: Again to to cast our minds back to that financial crisis that we had back then in 08 09 it was largely triggered by the overvaluation of the housing market the huge bubble that we had in housing prices and the financial markets having securitized billions hundreds of billions of dollars worth of uh, of mortgages was was that the proximate cause of the of that financial crisis Ludwig
1: Yeah. So I I hate to plug my book, but I have a great book on this called The Crisis of Crowding, uh, which also started a whole uh, research agenda into the the idea of crowding in financial markets. But I definitely recommend anyone to read that because I go in detail in all aspects of this crisis. But to answer your question, yes, I mean, it was predominantly a housing market problem. Now, when we say uh, just more it, it wasn't just mortgages it was we had an inflated housing market that was caused by lots of failures of our system or what i call the circle of greed in the book i call it the circle of greed which is every actor in our in our society played a role in this massive massive crowding of the of the housing market which also was a bubble of the housing market and Everyone was exposed to this, from homeowners to banks to real estate agents. Everyone played a part in this massive. But, yes, the principal cause was everyone in some fashion or another had levered themselves on the housing market. And if that market for any reason turned around, it would wreak havoc on all the way down the pipeline from homeowners to the investment banks, to the banks, to the uh, to the real estate agents, to everyone, and and that's what happened.
0: Now, when you say crowding of the crowding of the market, just to, just define what you mean by crowding of the market.
1: Crowding, it's still being developed the term, you know, and sometimes it's used loosely. Um, in the In the case of the housing market, I don't consider it a typical type of crowding, but but it is nevertheless a crowding. It's when so many investors are investing in the same type of investment or same type of space Mm -hmm. to where their very presence now determines the prices. And so if those investors decide to exit the space, they can wreak havoc on the market. So uh, let me give you a more uh, sort of a simpler example. Suppose some people are buying mortgages, but most people are buying a bit of everything. Well, when the mortgage the people on mortgages want to get out, they want to sell. There's probably enough demand out there because they're just a small fraction of the game. And there's other people that will take the other side. Mm -hmm. If everyone is piled into mortgages and there's a small catalyst that, uh, that forces one or two to escape as they escape and everyone else tries to escape, there's no one to to take the other side of the transaction Mm -hmm. and prices will just plummet very quickly. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, kind of an example of the crowding.
0: In today's market conditions, of course, we're 12, 13, 14 years on from that financial crisis. Do you see, in today's market conditions, do you see crowding in a particular part of the market at all? There are pockets
1: of crowding. I'm not on top of it enough to tell you exactly where I see crowding. Um, And that's just simply because I haven't looked today in careful detail at where it is. One area that people have been worried about, and and again, I'm, I don't know if there's crowding, but people have been worried about some of the 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 strategies that take to, that 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 try to take advantage of anomalies, like the classic one is the value trade. You know that has been doing poorly for many years. and we haven't understood, is it crowding or is it something else? Th- that could be one. but I, I don't I can't really pinpoint you today with exactly space that's crowded. Um, mm. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm sorry. I just haven't done my
0: homework. Okay. Let's come on to the other two gentlemen who who shared the Nobel Prize for Economics, Diamond and DeVig. Tell us about the work that they did. And of course, all of us, I mean, everybody has a bank account. Everybody, the banking system touches everybody in one way, shape, form, or another. Tell us about the fun, the, the research that they did on banks and how that impacts all of us.
1: Yeah, so their research was really trying. You know, you have to remember they wrote this uh, at a time in the uh, '70s. Uh, sorry, actually, the paper's 1983. So 83, and you have to remember by then we'd already had banks and we already had deposit insurance, right? And so they were trying to build a model that tried to understand why is this important and what are the issues with this. And and the model is you know a typical mathematical model, and and what they first realized is that banks are necessary and the way to think of it almost is that let's say you don't know if you need cash or you do you know it's it's an event you may not foresee you you may need cash you might not need cash right if you don't need cash the best thing for you to do is put it in a cd or a long-term investment instrument right Mm -hmm. uh if you do need cash well you need it in a deposit account to withdraw quickly and in their model you know they there's uncertainty and you don't know which you're going to be you know, are you going to be the one who does need cash or doesn't? And so one of the, the the benefits of a bank is that a bank can, kind of like an insurance agency, can pool everyone together and just have enough money for those people who end up needing the money but didn't know they need, they would need the money. right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm simplifying this, but essentially a, that's what a bank can do. It, it kind of performs an insurance operation which helps people, and that's why we don't directly do it right i don't directly lend to someone who needs a mortgage because what if i find out later i needed the money mm-hmm. well now i can't get my money anymore and so a bank performs this intermediation if you will so that was the first part of their paper the second part of their paper which again we had already figured out from the great depression but nevertheless they wanted to ask is this susceptible to anything and in their model bank runs are possible and and to make it simple for your re- uh, listeners and they probably already understand this concept, which is if a bank keeps only a small fraction of its deposits on hand mm-hmm. and the rest it lends out long term. Well, if everyone comes to the bank door on day one, the bank simply doesn't have enough money. It, it doesn't have it because it's lent it out. Mm-hmm. And so the bank, even a very solid bank, would go bankrupt if everyone decides to get their money out on the same day. It's just, it's nothing wrong with the bank. They're doing what they should do, but they just don't have the money. And there's a classic scene in the movie. I think a lot of everyone's seen at least once, A Wonderful Life. Oh, I don't yes. know, do you know, the, you know this movie? So in that movie, things are different, but there's a great line that the main character says in that movie when they all rush in to get their money. He says, you're thinking of this place all wrong. You know, he has that voice, yeah. I can't do it. But <laughs> you're know, thinking of this place all wrong. The money's not here. The money well, – well, why? It's in Joe's house. And that's kind of the, the great example is that any bank, even a solid bank, will fail if everyone goes to get the money because they, they've invested it. And so what they realized, as so did we, because you know we had figured this out. We had deposit insurance after the crash of 2933, that deposit insurance can stop this run. And why does it stop this run? Because obviously if you know that the government – will uh, or a federal deposit insurance corporation will pay you everything in your deposit account you have no incentive to be scared and run in their model and in real life the scaring occurs because if you think the bank's going to go bankrupt you know run out of money uh you better get there first and so it causes this effect that even people who don't need their money are going to run to grab it because Mm -hmm. they don't want to they want to make sure they get it so deposit insurance as we all know i think gives you that safety that if you don't need your money, you don't need to go get it because this this organization will pay you and guarantee all your money. And so that's what's so important about deposit insurance. And the last part of their paper uh, mentioned something that's very curious, especially what happened in the financial crisis of 08-09. They said that a lender of last resort, like a government or a Federal Reserve, that goes in and buys the bank assets at the, at the at a reasonable price also can stop the bank run. And what's interesting about that is, in fact, that's what what the Fed did in 2008, 2009. They went in and either guaranteed or directly bought mortgages. And so that helped prop up the system.
0: I remember that. I remember that well. And, of course, the, the Fed also played a major role in bringing different banks together, Wells Fargo and Wachovia and Bank of America and Merrill Lynch not a bank but nevertheless a shadow bank if you will so there were there were quite a few so the fed was was putting together a lot of banks to do precisely what you said to to ensure that there wasn't a run on the bank and to put them together with a stronger bank
1: that's right and they learned a lot of that also through the long-term capital disaster of 1998 which where they learned that a lot of this is important to get people in a room to understand all the little pieces that are of the puzzle that 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 need to be figured out. So yes, they did a lot of things, you know, they they started many organizations and as you know, they had banks by each other. In some cases they were a little late to the game, you know, and again, I don't know, if that's just the natural human nature which is it takes time to realize, "Oh boy, we're in trouble." And then what do you do? Right? and so it could have been partly that it could have been politics it could have been other things but eventually they got on the track to save the system
0: so essentially this no, the nobel prize for economics this time around being shared by bernanke diamond and devig is largely in recognition of the great work that or the the great work that was done by the fed and regulators in the 0809 crisis where these concepts were actually put into play by regulators and and the fed
1: yes uh, yeah that's the way to describe it yeah, yeah.
0: And at this point, Ben Bernanke, of course, uh, he's 68 years old. He retired from the Fed, what, about 10 years ago? I, it was during the Obama administration, I guess, when he uh, he was not reappointed or he stepped down. What is he doing today?
1: You know, I don't know what he's actually doing, but I know where he is. I don't know what he's doing, but he's at the Bro- Brookings Institution. So I think he's thought leader. Uh, he's probably giving a lot of talks, and they're paying him very handsomely for those talks. I think his... Uh, his speaker fee before he won the Nobel was something like 350000 a year. It's good to be Bernanke, as I always
0: say.
1: It's good to be Bernanke. In fact, if, if Ben is listening out there, feel free to have me team up with you at any of these talks and just uh, give me a fraction of what you're getting
0: paid. Now, Ludwig, of yeah. course... Thankfully, we overcame the crisis of 08, 09, as a result of the the work of these uh, these three great economists. Let's move on to the uh, to the crisis at hand, if you will, which is inflation. And inflation is running at a uh, at a a forty year high today. Chairman Powell, and the, uh, and the Fed is, is acting in a very aggressive, some would say hawkish manner, to raise interest rates in the hope of cooling the economy and thereby slowing down the rate of inflation. Give us your thoughts on where we stand with inflation and the action that the Fed is taking. Is it enough? Is it too much? Are they being too hawkish? We hear talk about are they going to pivot where do we stand?
1: It's a great question. Um, I would love to give you the answers to that. And but unfortunately, I I will give you an opinion. But I want to be very clear to your listeners that the opinion should be discounted heavily because I'm just not looking at this on a day to day basis. And I think to really understand inflation and the macroeconomy, you really have to be paying attention to it very well and thinking, thinking at a very high level and I'll give you an example of that right there the wall street journal had this piece that was written and it's in my blog by the way on my nobel blog this year i put it in and they had uh, something like 17 nobel prize winners write a document to help biden with pass his big spending plan and all these nobel prize winners in this document said inflation's not an issue we don't have to worry and now remember this was published in i believe september 2021 okay
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I could have some of these details right so they all claim that you know this extra spending would not impact inflation I, I'm not pointing it out to criticize them although you might want to do that too but I'm pointing it out to say that here are so-called experts that all got it wrong and part of the reason I think they got it wrong is because they they, they aren't doing what I just said you have to be paying attention to it on a regular basis and you have to be thinking deeply about it you can't just have a good credential like a nobel prize and say oh inflation's not going to be a problem it, it requires a lot more effort mm-hmm. and so i won't say that i i've done that effort so i also don't know but now you asked a question about inflation it is high it's very high compared to what the u.s is used to in fact it's getting to a point of you know getting i, I don't think you'll get to that point but what we used to call moderate inflation that you'd experience in latin america and so it is high. Uh, the Fed is, as you know, raising rates very aggressively. Is it too much? I really can't answer that, but I can tell you this: some people think of of the Fed as a rule-based system. So there are rules out there, like the Taylor rule, uh, which is a a rule for how the Fed should raise rates. And the Fed is raising rates much more aggressively than that simple taylor rule i don't know if your if your listeners are familiar with the taylor rule but it's a it's a rule that came out of a paper that was written by an economist at stanford and and then it's just kind of a guideline to what the federal funds rate should be uh based on the target inflation rate and the current inflation rate and some other things in the economy and so uh they are raising much more aggressively so is it too aggressive if you believe in these rule-based systems some people would say it might be too aggressive. So let's look at the positive side, though. If it is too aggressive, what does it mean? Well, it will mean that we're going to get a recession. You know, Some people think we're already in a recession, but we're going to pay the price in terms of recession. The positive part about it is it should help inflation come down. There's a trade-off there, but I can't really tell you from my own research, because I haven't done it, on whether it's too aggressive, too fast, or it's actually exactly what's needed. But, you know, as you probably know, and we all feel it, the inflation is real. We have to remember how many people suffer. Most people in America, these type of you know, high inflation, their their wage isn't keeping up with it. Their bills are getting bigger. And it's that's me as well, right? I've noticed that my electric bills are higher. I've noticed that my gas filling the tank costs a lot more. I've noticed this almost everywhere I go. My grocery bills are higher. Hopefully, we get this under control because it um, hurts American families tremendously. And some of this, by the way, I believe is self-induced. But I'll stop there because I've been really rattling on for someone who doesn't have really any valid opinion.
0: Ludwig, in the remaining couple of minutes of the uh, the podcast, you referenced your blog on the Nobel Prize. Where can our listeners read your uh, blog? Why don't you give the uh, the coordinates for that?
1: Yeah, sure. All they have to do is go to L U D W I G bc.com ludwigbc.com and then just go under the note like you know there's a there's a heading nobel blog they click on there and they can they can read it okay. they can even send me comments if they want
0: okay so that's ludwigbc.com
1: that's right very, very good
0: easy. well ludwig once again thank you very much for joining us today and shedding light on the uh, this year's nobel prize for for economics and we'll look forward to having you back again when the Nobel Prize is announced next year.
1: Oh, that sounds great. Thank you very much, and, uh, and have a great day, and hopefully inflation's not hurting you very much.
0: Many thanks, Ludwig. And for our listeners, today's episode is number 331 as we continue to mark our second year. With a global audience in more than 65 countries, the San Francisco Experience is featured on 19 platforms, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, among others. This has been the San Francisco Experience with Jim Herlihy coming to you from San Francisco.